0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, friends and family. It's Sunny Sharma back with the India Inside Podcast. Uh, Today, I'm going to do a standalone podcast on the topic of diversity, education, and censorship, and how this relates to two really main figures in the Indian independence movement and and champions of diversity, education, and who had some of their books and journals censored during the time of the British Raj. And I want to tie together those ideas of diversity, education, and censorship in this podcast. So before I do that, I want to... I want to describe. Uh, I have talked about these two figures. The first figure is Dr. B. R. Ambedkar, Dr. Uh, Babasaheb Ambedkar, the the man who made the Constitution of India or drafted it along with the other members of the Indian Constituent Assembly, and the other member who was also involved in the Indian Constituent Assembly and in the fight for independence, who I want to talk about, is the character of uh, Abu Kalam Azad. Um, a man who was from Saudi Arabia, whose family immigrated to India, Calcutta, and who got involved in the Indian independence movement in Bengal and later, fought, fought, um, later joined Gandhi in the wider independence movement against the British Raj. So first off, let's start with Dr. B.M. Rao Ambedkar. So one, so one of the, there are a couple of uh, um, things Dr. Ambedkar quotes, which which Dr. Ambedkar is known for. Um, I'll I'll start with two in the beginning and two at the end of his describing uh, basically the summarizing who Ambedkar was. First off, there's a quote, I like the religion that teaches liberty, fraternity, equality. And Ambedkar was talking about Buddhism when he was talking about this religion. He saw Buddhism as a, the 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 the, uh, the future religion of brotherhood for mankind the next quote that uh, Bob, um, baba Sullivan baker has is that uh, be educated be agitated and be organized this is something he to- he he told to his uh two political parties he started two political parties one was a labor party for the for the underclass and his other party was also for the underclass but it was for the dalits the untouchables And now to summarize a little bit more about Ambedkar, in previous podcasts I have talked about him, but I want to summarize a little bit more about who Ambedkar was. He was born the 14th and last child of a Mahar normally his life would be characterized by neglect poverty discrimination and obscurity but Dr Ambedkar rose above those rose above his lowly position to be one of the most edu- be possibly the most educated Indian of the constituent assembly al- along with Abul Kalam Azad that's one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight the topic of education in this podcast because one of the things I want to make clear is that education is the road to advancement so one of the earliest indian students in the u.s he earned multiple doctorates from columbia university university of london earning advanced qualifications in economics politics and law he was admitted to the bar in london and became india's james madison of the chair of the Consti- constitution drafting committee electic eclectic and sharp mind, he wrote many books Rising from such humiliation to become the most consequential political and social reformer of a glittering generation of freedom fighters was Ambedkar's triumph. Ambedkar was also modern India's first male feminist. His speeches and legislative initiatives on women's rights nearly 90 years ago would be progressive even today in India. That I think is very important. A society can be Ambedkar famously stated a society can be measured by how well women are doing in that society. In a fractured and divided Hindu society, he gave the Dalits a sense of collective pride and individual self-respect. Like W.E.B. Du Bois, he was an insurgent thinker whose writings consisten- consistently engaged European and American history plus political thought. So saying there, he was always... he He also... Similar to many past figures in history, past luminaries, he was, he was not just engaged in Indian political thought, he was also engaged in the thought of the oppressor. so he understood how the oppressor th- thought about the oppressed. Um, this allowed him to explore the universality of political concepts, as well as to expose the dark histories of Euro-American American history with regard to its histories of injustice and dehumanization. He is distinguished from other anti-colonial thinkers of his generation by his global by his global double character of thought and his persistent concern for Dalits. In 1936, he had his invitation withdrawn after Hindu caste reformers saw the draft of his speech, Annihilation of Caste. So that's another point which we'll come back to about censorship, which I want to talk about at the end of this podcast, because his book, his famous one of his most famous books he wrote, Annihilation of Caste, was censored by the Hindu orthodoxy. And this, this censorship was something that happened um, both by the British as well as by the Hindu orthodoxy in India. On October 13th, 1935, a, a provincial conference of depressed classes was uh, held at uh, Nasik District. He stated, I was born in, and at this conference, uh, Baker stated, I was born in Hinduism, but I will not die as a Hindu. Um, in in an address of the Bombay pre, uh, Bombay. Uh, presidency mahar conference he advocated the renunciation of hinduism mainly this happened because Ambedkar was discriminated by hindus for most of his life and even to this day there's vast discrimination against dalits in india which really needs to be remedied which i'll come back to at the end of this podcast august 15th 1936 he formed the independent labor party to protect interests of depressed classes after 1947 independence, he was appointed as a minister of law and justice in Nehru's first cabinet, but in 1951 he resigned his ministership, expressing his differences on the Kashmir issue, India's foreign policy, and Nehru's policy towards the Hindu code bill, and he was not the only one who felt that way as well. In the 1952 Columbia University conference, uh he re- he was lld degree in recognition of his work drafting india's constitution he, he received an lld degree in con- recognition of his work drafting the indian constitution in 1955 he published thoughts on a linguistic state which is one of the reasons why he was a champion for diversity in india and, and helping the oppressed classes on october 14th 1956 he embraced buddhism in a historic ceremony in nagpur and died december 6, 1956 along with 500,000 other supporters he who also converted to buddhism he was conferred the title of bodhisattva by the buddhist monks at Draktik, Drak-tik buddhism council in 1940 in kathmandu nepal and it's interesting that he was given this title of bodhisattva for two reasons one because he was given this title before he died and two because what bodhisattva in buddhism is a term for Uh, An an individual on the path to enlightenment who is helping other individuals on the path to enlightenment in in Buddhism. He played a significant role in the formation of the Reserve Bank of India. The Central Bank was formed on the conception presented by him to the uh, Hilton Young Commission. So all in all, this is very important. He was a man of study and action. First, he acquired sound knowledge of economics, politics, law, philosophy, sociology. He really was a, he was, really was a jack of all trades. And in pursuing his studies, he had to face many social odds. But he did not spend all his life in reading and studying. This is important. He, he, put, he put his lessons in, in the classroom into practice in the floor. And he refused higher posts with attractive salaries because he never forgot his brothers in the depressed classes. He dedicated the rest of his life to equality, brotherhood, and humanity. He tried his best for the upliftment of the depressed classes. He formed two political parties, first for labor and second for the Dalits. And now to end with two quotes, which I said I would talk about, Ambedkar, is two quotes, which are two quotes which um, are also similar to what um, uh, Abu Kalam Azad also says. Uh, this is what Ambedkar says The cultivation of mind should be the ultimate aim of human existence. A great, Second quote A great man is different from an eminent one in that he is ready to be the servant of society. So Mbadkar was life is a is a testament to service to great to greater causes and to rising above the odds against um against humiliation and uh really destitution that he was put under when he was much younger. And now now to go to the figure of Abu Kalam Azad, who also was someone who was censored at times by the British. Also known as Abu Kalam Ghulam Mahuyedin Mulana Abu Al-Kalam Azad, Mulana Azad. He lived from November 11, 1888, born in Mecca, Mecca, Saudi Arabia, and he died February 22, 1858. He probably is the most important Islamic theologian in, during the Indian Independence Movement. He was a leader in the Indian Independence Movement against the British Raj in the first half of the 20th century. He was known for his high moral integrity, and it really, really—if it was not for Abu al Azad—not so many Indians would have would have stayed in the secular fold of India after the partition. And it's really a credit to him that India had, um, India, the majority of Muslims stayed back in India, and that is really a testament to the to the power of secularism and diversity of the continent. He received a traditional Islamic education at home from his father and Islamic scholars rather than at an Islamic school. He was influenced by Indian educator Sir Saeed Ahmad Khan by getting a well rounded education, including learning English. In his late teens, he became active in journalism, and in 1912, he began publishing a weekly Urdu-language newspaper in Calcutta, Al-Hilal, The Crescent. Highly influential in the Muslim community for its anti-British stance, notably for its uh, criticism of Indian Muslims who are loyal to the British. Al-Halal was soon banned by the British authorities, as was the second newspaper he started. And this is similar, to, this is why I want to talk about censorship at the end of my talk, because Baker and several other, I mean, dozens of Indians, the newspapers they wrote and the books they wrote were banned by either the British Raj or Hindu Orthodoxy. Um, in 1916, he was banished to Ranchi in Jharkhand, where he remained until the start of 1920. In Calcutta, he joined the Indian National Congress and galvanized Indian Muslim community through an appeal to pan-Islamic ideals. Active in the Caliphate movement from 1920 to 24, which defended the Ottoman Sultan, sultanate as a caliph, the head of the worldwide Muslim community, even briefly getting support from Mahatma Gandhi during this movement. Um, over time, Azad and Gandhi grew close, and Azad was involved in Gandhi's various civil disobedience Satyagraha campaigns, including the Salt March 1930. From 1920 to 1945, he was imprisoned a lot, including for participation in anti-British Quit India campaign during World War II. At 35 years old, Azad became Congress Party's youngest president ever in 1923, and again in 1940 through 46, though the party was longly inactive during much of his second term, since most of the leadership was in prison. Most of the leadership was in prison during the time he was president the second time, which is kind of funny. (laughs) After the war, Azad was one of the Indian leaders who negotiated for Indian independence with the British. He advocated for a strong India that would embrace Hindus and Muslims while strongly opposing partition later blamed later he blamed both congress party leaders and muhammad ali Jinnah, the founder of pakistan for the ultimate division of the subcontinent after partition and constitutional establishment of both countries he served as an education minister in Nehru's government from 1947 until his death his autobiography india wins freedom was published in 1959. in 1992 decades after his death azad was awarded the Bharat Ratna, india's highest civilian award and now for the most important quote by uh, um, by uh, Abu Kalam Azad, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Uh, now I want to I want to talk a little bit about these topics of education of uh, education diversity and censorship. So so all of these figures, um, including uh, the figure of uh, Sarvekar. Um, all of them either had journals or books that were censored during, during the time of the British Raj. Um, Sir Vaker's book, the 1857 war for independence was banned. Uh, Al Hilal, as lo- as well as the other journal Abu Qalam Azad wrote was banned. Um, and, uh, Ambedkar's book, *The Annihilation of Caste, was also banned. And if you were if you were to go to a present day figure today of uh, in America, who most most Indians don't know about, but who is involved, who is the author of the 1619 Project, Nicola Hannah Jones, she stated, "No free society bans books." And so we really have to question how free our society is if there is censorship and if if there is not if there is not a process to where. Uh, diverse groups of people can have a say in the government's uh, construction and in, in the perpetuation of the ideals of a government. And so um, all of these figures advocated for education. I, as I said before, they all advocated for education as the uh, the the, uh, the vehicle for advancement in society, for the cultivation of the mind. Because, because even if you're in a the only way to truly free yourself is to free your mind. And this is something that they, all of them state in quotes. They have that a free mind leads to a free society. Um, and that is also why, why diversity education and censorship are all important and tied together because only, in only in a free society, which, which propagates diversity, can there be, can people have not, um, can there not be censorship in that society? Um and uh, also, all of these figures from Ambedkar, Abu Kalamazad, to even Gandhi, they, they all perpetuated the, the upliftment of the lower caste in those societies. So it, it took it took courage to do this because it was difficult to fight on two fronts, both for the independence of India and for the upliftment of the Dali classes. And in many cases, the Dali classes, we have not uplifted the Dali classes enough in India. Um, but there have been quotas um, put in place to uh, put educational quotas and job quotas in government to help depress classes in India. Um, but we have to question whether we're doing enough for these people. And uh whether or not, and this will test the, whether or not a diverse society can survive in a very, in an increasingly complex world globally, um, globally and, uh, planetarily. Um, so I thank you for listening and I'll be back with more podcasts in the future. And I will do, I'd like to have a podcast on, uh, education, diversity and censorship, uh, with some of my cousins uh, in the future. Okay. So thank you. Bye.